2: Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So
0: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What phone
1: is that? That's the second time it's gone off never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys.
4: And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
1: Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
0: Thanks for taking the time to be with us in today's Irish Times. Second captain's podcast, Owen McDevitt, presenting the show with Kieran Murphy. Hi, Kieran. Hello there, on. And Ken Early. Hi, Ken. Hey, how are you? Big time sport can be a grubby old world. And this is going to be a grubby edition of, of the podcast. Because already this week we had the news of the latest batch of doping bans given to Russian athletes, which should hopefully lead to an Olympic bronze and a world gold medal being handed to Rob Heffernan and Oliver McMahon. News today that Geert Lenders, uh, Lenders, I should say, the former Team Sky doctor, has been banned for life for a string of doping violations during his time with the Rabobank team. So it's a nice, uh, nice light start. And of course, hovering over everything, ready to coach his team in yet another Super Bowl, it's Ken Early's favorite rule breaker ever. I'll hand over to my partner, Eric Cartman from South Park, on this one.
5: This is Bill Belichick coach of the New England Patriots. He's won three Super Bowls. How? He cheated. He even got caught cheating, and nobody cared. Bill Belichick proved that in America it's okay to cheat as long as you cheat your way to the top. Hey, I don't want to be called a cheater. No, no. If you cheat and fail, you're a cheater. If you cheat and succeed, you're savvy. When Bill Belichick cheated for the Patriots, what did he do? He videotaped the opposing team's defense. Think of the defense as your test. When Bill Belichick got caught with his camera, He did not panic. He simply said what every good white cheater says when caught. I misinterpreted the rules. It's what you must also say when caught cheating. I misinterpreted the rules. Say it with me. I misinterpreted the rules. Good. Again. I misinterpreted the rules. Again. I misinterpreted the rules. Now you sound like white people.
0: Yes. New England's Patriots head coach Bill Belichick is in the news again this week. The cheating which Cartman refers to there. Came a few years back when his team secretly taped their opposing... Which Cartman refers said, to there. <laughs> ...on the line a few years. He's our broadcasting partner now. Okay, if it's, a, a deal has been uh, been struck okay. with the good people at South Park Studios. Sounds like I might have a job What there. has he done now? Maybe explain this briefly. He burst well, a few footballs along those lines.
6: That's basically it, Chad. Yeah. People did not know this until this week, but there is a minimum and a maximum pressure that your American football needs to be. And uh, 11 of the 12 footballs used... Uh, in their Super Bowl semi-final effectively against the Indianapolis Colts last Sunday uh, came in well under under and well under the uh, the
0: recommended uh, pressures, pressure per square inch We'll PSA. have to ask you S. Murph what the benefit of that is because I'm a bit mystified Ken I can see you looking quizzically at Murph going why Why does this make a difference why does mm. this help Tom Brady win a well, match does it make a it? difference Well apparently so they hammered the other team uh, they were considerably better than the other side as well so the point that some people have raised is who cares they won by 30-40 points but if they did deliberately go out and deflate these balls for whatever benefit, mm. it just ties in nicely with the... Uh, There's a narrative that's been going on for quite a yeah. while about Bill Belichick, And Tom Brady gets away with it, though. I mean, Tom Brady, surely if this is going on, Brady's got to yeah. b- be fairly involved well, in they, anything.
6: There, there have been updates even within the last couple of minutes. Uh, on well, we might uh, get to those after Do you want to yeah, get to those now? We? Well, just,
0: just to say that Brady
6: is not entirely... Uh, blameless, blameless in yeah, this whole, okay. this whole area as well. Go, Why exactly was Cartman talking in a? a uh, he a was li-
1: teaching in, um, he he was teaching in a, in a sort of uh, inner city school. And okay. he's trying to teach Connect his with the kids. his mainly Latino class right, okay. how to. I just felt we should probably
6: broach <laughs> yeah. this topic. I
0: don't know why he was yeah. pronouncing Belgian.
6: Oh, yeah, no, region. no,
1: he he was he was disguised. He was in a kind of a disguise. So. Okay, thank you.
0: Amidst all the murky stuff, lads, I have got a piece of good news for you today because the Irish Times Second Captains Podcast has a brand new fan. We got a tweet from one of our regular listeners, Kieran Boyle. It's a photo of his beautiful little baby boy, Brayden. I think I've got the name right there. Yeah. Who Kieran assures us will be listening to his first ever podcast today. Brayden was born just before two a.m. Irish time, and I say Irish time, Kieran, because this—that's uh, Kieran Murphy. Mm-hmm. This is the best news. Brayden is not only a new listener, but he also joins the ranks of the P. Bezos. He's born in Long Island, New York, late last night there time.
6: Uh, Brayden, welcome, and uh, thank you for listening. I know that you're barely not even a day old. Brain may not be able to get all of the ref- pop culture references but uh, we trust that you'll stick
0: with us I call him a little baby Ken that's slightly misleading Kieran he's tells a, us the young man weighs in a 10 pound 6 ounces he's a bear
1: yeah it's almost <laughs> like a second moon has your face so you uh, yeah large
0: small turkey you're a
1: big baby. baby say hi to Brayden Hi, Brayden.
0: Hi, Brayden. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Uh, congrats, and now back to the cheating, because former Rabobank and Team Sky doctor Gert Leinders has been handed a lifetime ban by the US anti-doping agents. Uh, it's actually, uh, it was one of these, this is the way it works in anti-doping these days. It was USADA, it was Anti-Doping Denmark, and the uh, the Netherlands Anti-Doping Authority worked together uh, and found that, in their words, Leinders possessed trafficked... And administered banned performance-enhancing substances and methods without any legitimate medical need. And they go on to explain: some, you can, you've, you've heard, if you've read the Lance Armstrong story, you know what kind of drugs are generally used in cycle. This story has been around for a while, and it predates his time at Team Sky. But it, it raises obvious questions with the confirmation of the charges, with a lifetime ban. Sky, you might remember, and Dave, Sir Dave Brailsford, to give him his full title, in particular, weren't shy a few years back in shouting from the rooftops how uh, they had a zero policy, uh, a zero tolerance policy, I should say, towards performance-enhancing drugs to the extent that they weren't going to employ doctors with, with reputations like Landers. In fact, doctors who've been involved in cycling, uh, outside of the UK and Ireland, at that stage, they talked about not having any cyclists who were involved, and that's come to, uh, come down around their ears a little bit as well. So Jeremy Whittle, journalist and author. He wrote some great stuff about Lance Armstrong himself actually in his book Bad Blood Before it became the easy thing to do joins us to talk a little bit about this. Jeremy, I guess the first question is the lifetime ban handed out to this doctor, is it good news for cycling?
3: Oh, that's a difficult question because I think in some ways it's obviously good when somebody who's been involved, um, as they say, in multiple doping violations and who is in is you know steeped in that culture, when they're exposed and kicked out, that's always a good thing, I would I would I would say. However, the fact that uh, he's connected to, and he's connected to Bradley Wiggins' golden year, uh, when he's the team doctor at Sky, is really disturbing and really worrying. And I think a lot of people feel the same way, will feel the same anxieties that they felt in twelve when Dave Brailsford was fiercely defending his appointment. So, good and bad, I guess.
0: How fiercely did Brailsford defend that appointment at the time?
3: Pretty, pretty, pretty strongly. I mean, um, I've had my run-ins with Dave over, over this and other other stories. And I think he uh, he viewed it as an attack on his personal judgment um, because, you know, obviously they've done their due diligence. They'd appointed Gertlinders after he'd sat down with Steve Peters as well, who obviously made his name as a psychiatrist um, with Team GB and then with Team Sky and then has gone on to work with other, in other sports as well. And you know they they were they held themselves up as kind of we are we are a zero tolerance team and we, you know we put these people through an exhaustive process we know everything about them and you know we haven't found anything so this is just scurrilous rumor rumor mongering by people who are always looking for a dirty story.
0: What I find. Uh you know, I have found interesting about this for a long time is that just based on, on reading bad blood by, by yourself and the amount of cycling literature around Lance Armstrong and that whole thing I mean, when, when there's a team who's doping other teams generally seem to know about well certainly Lance knew everything about everything but uh, it seems like word does get around and Chris Froome spoke to Paul Kimmage late last year in uh, in the Sunday Independent I'll just read a little bit out uh, Kimmage is talking to him about Leanders and Froome is saying well I didn't really work with him too much he says I mean the way I saw Gert Leanders was I knew he could from Rabobank and that he had come from a doping past uh, and uh, Paul says you're the only person Sky who's admitted that nobody else knew and Froome says well I knew he'd come from Rabobank I knew their riders I knew riders had doping in Rabobank I didn't know if they were doing it on their back or with the doctor's compliance it wasn't something I discussed with, discussed with him he never tried to push products onto me but it seems interesting to me that Chris Froome was aware of this doping that was going on in the Rabobank team uh, and it seems like Brailsford well, w- w- whether he wasn't aware or just buried his head in the sand about the idea that maybe their chief doctor might have been a part of that plan
3: yeah I, I know but I mean I, I would say it, I was the last person t- t- to defend a rider in an interview where, where he kind of hums and haws and doesn't give a direct answer which I think is the case with Froome there because Linders was on some of the races in spring 2012 that I was on when um, Froome and Wiggins were racing together as they built up towards the Tour but I mean I think that doesn't but that doesn't prove anything about Linders especially but what I would say is is that you know, that this, this idea that pe- nobody in the sport knew that Lance was doping, that nobody in the sport mm. knew that Linders had an issue with doping, that nobody in the sport knew that Rasmussen was dirty, you know, and so on, and so on, and so on. Um, just enough to nonsense, because it's like if you're – it's a workplace. You know, they, you know, the peloton is the workplace for these guys. It's where they go every day, day in, day out. Okay, they may only do 250 days a year in the peloton, but it's still, you know, their 9-to-5 job. <clears throat> same team to somebody, and I know that Linders, as I say, was on races with, with Froome in 2012. You know, are you really thing that over the dinner table, you know, there's little signs, there's little comments made that don't reveal who somebody really is? I just don't believe that.
1: Yeah, I mean, Froome said in the same interview that it was definitely a mistake by the team not looking into his past and not doing their research, which is just an amazing thing really to say. I mean, if you've been watching cycling, over the last 10 or 15 years it's 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 difficult to believe um, it's difficult to believe that a team would hire a doctor without doing any research i mean doping is a is a sphere of expertise like any other and we find that oftentimes doctors who have uh, history in this area or expertise in this area are hired precisely because of that experience and not in spite of it because somebody's overlooked it
3: well i, I find it i find it quite extraordinary, especially as dave belson has a hotline to people you know who he knows within the sport who have been involved in doping such as david miller his close friends with david miller you know he's he's quite simple for him to send a text message or a phone or phone up somebody who he knows has you know he can do that discreetly in private and say do you know if there's any dirt on this guy you know, have you heard things about this guy and i know that i know that they were doing that post the initial wave of of people they appointed at sky you know they signed they signed a lot of people like michael barry stephen de Jong, Bobby Julek. Obviously, they had to dispense with them because they later later found out that they weren't who they said they are as well. But post post that, you know, I know that they were talking to people, and saying, you know, is this person sound? Have you heard any dirt on them? So they were capping you know, their fellow professionals, their peer group. So I don't know why you wouldn't have done that first time around as well. I mean, I think it's, I think it just shows, really. I I don't think it necessarily shows any evil intent on the part of Sky. I mean, I'm I'm. Um, Trying to be uh, cautious and diplomatic, there. I don't think it necessarily proves any evil intent. What it what it shows is that they were extremely naive.
0: Well, there's no need to be diplomatic, uh, Jeremy. Just, just just tell us what you what
3: you think <laughs> about it. Well, no, I don't. I don't think this, I don't think necessarily that this proves that Sky says how to hire a doping doctor. I mean, a lot of people think that you know there there is that there is a massive conspiracy behind Sky. I don't think there's proof either one way or the other. I think they've made some chronic mistakes. Have appointed some people who they shouldn't have touched with a barge pole, and I think in hindsight, Brails would privately acknowledge that. Yeah, and I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure he would. But the the thing is, that is still culpability. You know, the 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 to go into that scenario when they launched the team of 2010, which was post Puerto, post festina post-Rasmus and post-Landis, you know, to go into that scenario, into that environment and not do the most exhausted due diligence you possibly could in a team doctor is at best naive. And at worst, it's just, you know, kind of a dereliction of responsibility.
0: In your experience, Jeremy, do doping doctors generally dope one team and then move teams and change their ways?
3: Well, it's the same with doping riders, isn't it? I mean, they, they, they move around. If you look at the path of some of... You know, apart from Armstrong, perhaps, but you look at the path of some of the notorious riders who, you know, <clears throat> who have been tainted with doping. They they move from sponsor to sponsor. They quite often stay with the same team manager because the sponsor changes, or they'll stay with a sidekick rider who's a uh, you know their right hand man. He may be there for his writing abilities, but may also be there because of his contact book, you know, and, and the numbers on his phone as well. Um, I mean we, this has all been established by all the books that Sure, like but, but, but in terms of the been, doctors, yeah
0: I, you know, I'm thinking obviously the, the probably the most extreme, almost cartoon character-like example is Dr. Michele Ferrari, who clearly yeah. uh, didn't have a huge amount of scruples and even I don't think he, uh, to this day necessarily sees anything that he has ever done as in any way, uh, in any way wrong. Uh, are are m- most of the doctors, most of the sort of dodgy doctors along those lines is it possible for a doctor to to be cheating in one team and then decide? Well, actually, I'm going to clean my ways here. I'm going to, I'm going to clean myself up well, for another I, team.
3: I, I think I hold back to things that Fuentes said it, Uf, Fuentes, when he was wrapped up in the Operation Puerto affair, and you know when he was trying to name athletes in other sports. When he was saying that you know the idea of anti doping is a is a complete myth because you know it is not. It's it's healthier for me to dope riders to a certain point to. to to ward off sickness and injury during a race like the Tour de France, and it is for them to ride it clean. I, th- I, th- I think they believe that anti-doping, clean sport, is just, is just a. It's just a PR story, you know, that it's that it's something that is fed out to sponsors and the public to make them think that when they sit down in front of, you know, five five mountain pass, mountain stage of the Tour de France, that it's all good, clean fun. Whereas the awful reality is that, you know, the grim reality is that if it's too easy for Tour de France, to put somebody through that without doping them is inhuman. And that was Fuentes' argument. He believed that he was actually doing, that he was actually being more honest in terms of, you know, his medical oaths. To treat the riders, than than he was, you know, if he didn't treat them. Do we
0: know has Brailsford? um I, I know they uh, put, uh, well. Certainly, they announced they were going to investigate the circumstances surrounding their hiring of him and how, how he did manage to get through whatever checks they had. But do we know has he subsequently interviewed everybody on the team? Has he found out uh, exactly? Well, he should know. I mean, he, he, I guess he's the guy who's who'd be quite heavily involved with the doctor. Is he uh, aware of everything that? Um, that this doctor has done on his team can he stand over um, the uh, Gertlanders not having doped anybody on Team Sky
3: yes I think as far as I know he still says that there was nothing nothing untoward happening at Team Sky I mean he was pressed by uh, myself and other journalists more perhaps during the 2012 tour I mean I did ask him about it I asked him about it subsequently as well and wrote about it and he maintained that, you know, uh, Linders had never done anything untoward. He he said he was a good doctor, uh, that it was about medicine, not doping. Um, and he said that they'd, they'd appointed him because they needed somebody who understood the rigours of racing and the specific needs of racing. So that they, And that what they had before would just been a GP, you know, or a doctor, a practising doctor. But that actually what, what they needed was someone who understood the stresses and strains, such as dehydration. Um, I think it was after Walter Spaard in two thousand and ten that they appointed him because they had a particularly horrid time in fact one of they lost one of their staff actually died um which was unrelated but um uh, they had it was a particularly hot welter they had a lot of problems with dehydration and sickness, and I think they felt that the medical staff they had didn 't have the knowledge of the rigors of professional cycling in those extreme conditions, so that 's why they hired. Linders because they felt that he was more, you know, au fait with 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 those with conditions, and that he would be able to treat the riders better. I mean, I I have have to put a lot of these words in inverted commas because when I say "treat," I don't know how far you you know where the line is in terms of Linder's attitude at that particular time. But but obviously, I mean, the the argument was put. They they said when they set out the scene, they weren't going to hire anybody. You know, it was a sports doctor per se or an endurance sports doctor who'd who had any, any suggestion that they may that that they might have a a um, you know a doping past. So that they they hired I can't remember the name of the doctor unfortunately but they they off the cuff but they hired a doctor who, you know, was a sports doctor but not a specific a specific doctor and then when that failed or they needed to fail, they turned to Linders. But even then, I mean I remember going to pressure them on the twenty twelve tour and even press rooms prior to that and speak to Dutch and, uh, well, specifically Dutch and Belgian journalists who were kind of shaking their head in disbelief at the appointment of Leinders. I mean, he had a dirty reputation before, before you know, his name became well known in the media um, in terms of you know, him being written about and all his allegations being made against about rubber bank. You know, what, the word was out on Gert Leinders well before it became an issue in the press in the summer of twenty twelve, mm-hmm. a while before it was in the British press. A year or even you know a couple of years before that.
0: Yeah, amazing stuff. Listen, Jeremy, thanks so much for taking the time today. Okay, cheers. <sighs> Staggering
1: Ken is
0: <laughs> it, it's just yeah.
1: Look I mean it's it's impossible. To, the problem is, you come out and you say, "Oh, we're going to do everything by the book, right?" And then you immediately hire a doping doctor.
4: Yeah, I mean, he's a
0: doping. I mean, he's a doping doctor. Everybody okay. in, the, in the sport knew this yeah. guy was a doping doctor, and you hire the doping doctor.
1: Just, just hard to believe that that could happen just by by your mistake. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I suppose you are asking us to believe that it was a mistake, but it's just really difficult to believe that, given everything that's happened in, in cycling. Wow, what a what a mistake. Exactly the mistake you said you weren't going to make. You hired a doping doctor immediately. Amazing. Incredible.
0: The whole uh, area of the doctors and their involvement in all this is The one
1: thing that you think you'd research more than anything almost, you know. Uh, I mean, that that quote from him. well, the team really should have done the research. Why are they hiring a doctor without doing research on the doctor?
0: Supposedly they uh did an interview with him. Uh, I think isn't is it Steve Peters who's involved with um with Team Sky. Anyway, one of the whoever was the sports psychologist with Team Sky at the time I said, well, myself and Steve, we sat down with, with, with Leanders. Seemed like a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Just some news on Andy Lee. Uh, looks almost certain that he is going to defend his world title for the first time on April 11th in Brooklyn, in New York, against the undefeated former champion Peter Kid Chocolate Quillen. That nerf. is a good nickname. Uh, you might have heard stories about this. It looks like it's going to happen. Quillen vacated the WBO belt so he wouldn't have to face Matt Karboff, who Andy then knocked out. The significance of the deal, it's going to be shown on National Terrestrial TV in the US NBC are making a big comeback there. They don't have to pay the same rights fees that for the boxers or to the boxers uh, for sorry, f- to to for the fight. So that means the boxers will get paid more themselves uh, than they would if it was on HBO or Showtime. So it's reported that the headline fighters will get paid at least a seven figure. So it looks like Andy is going to make at least $1 million from fighting this fight. You sound impressed by that game. Those kind of numbers... It's
1: pretty good, yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: the exchange rate is... <laughs> Actually, you know what?
6: Let's not talk about the exchange rate. A million dollars is a million dollars. Well, the
0: story was, you know, and he said he wanted to come back to Ireland fighting Limerick, fighting Dublin, and hopefully he'll get to do that, but it does make sense to go and earn a bit of money out of this. You, know, you never know, uh, I don't mean be negative about I mean, it, the but purse it, for you the never know when it's going to end. Was the it wasn't purse for it, the last you, fight,
1: no. I mean, everything was, was riding on that fight, mm-hmm. and the purse, I think, was $80,000. So, you know, this is a uh,
0: Which sounds like when like you say the term $80,000, it sounds like a hell of a lot of money, but for a guy who's been fighting that's not, his entire
1: career... $80,000 is not a lot of money no. when it could be the last fight of your career. You're talking about months and months of training, you know, all kinds of expenses and so on. You're not making a huge amount of money on $80,000. It was very important to win that fight, and we can see why now.
0: As soon as that fight's 100% confirmed, we will chat to Andy himself on the program. It's time now for US Murph.
1: Yes, we have
4: to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses.
6: I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior.
4: You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, in the Jays!
0: Brian, I usually start by asking you how you are, but I think I need to talk about my own feelings today, if that's okay.
2: No, please do. First of all, it's good to have you back to talk about your feelings. Well, no, Uh, no, no. That's not what he was saying last week. Yeah, I was on on
0: holidays last week, unavailable for a week. The first thing I did upon my return, Brian, before I'd even left Dublin Airport, was to listen back to the US Murph slot to see what you guys were talking about while I was gone. Uh Of course, I was half hoping, well, probably full-on hoping... That you might say how much you miss me, something along those lines. <laughs> Instead, I heard you utter the words, "Who needs Owen? He should take another few weeks off." <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, sometimes you know we've got to, uh, you know, we got to uh, play to the audience, yeah. You know, read the room, right, Owen? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it is so great to have you back, buddy. I would never. Trade you for them at least yeah. until you go away again, and then I'll <laughs> throw you under the bus right can, again. Uh, there, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
6: You can only uh, dance with the girls that are in the hall, Brian <laughs>
2: <laughs> Man, I busted, hear busted! Yes. I thought maybe wherever you were, uh, the podcast wouldn't be reachable. I figured you took such remote vacations, you didn't even have any Wi-Fi access, no podcast, no nothing. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I'm guilty. Listen, I'm. I, I, what do I say? I am um, I danced with the girl that brung you. You know what I mean? They brought me to the floor. I got to dance with them. But, oh, it's so great to have you It back. really
0: is. and We've got so much to talk about, Brian. There's no need to fall out at all. Firstly, <laughs> well, we have our Super Bowl teams. New England pa- I say firstly, this is the story. New England Patriots versus defending champion Seattle Seahawks. But the big question, how the hell did the Seahawks make it past Green Bay last weekend?
2: You know, it's incredible. Even in the time that you guys uh, started this interview, and the time you asked me that question, uh, the story has even changed, because um, I'm sure you guys are just getting word of this whole deflate football scandal that we have going on here in New England. So actually, in the last 24 hours, the New England Patriots being found guilty of deflating footballs, thus making them easier to throw and catch and harder to fumble, has actually superseded now the miracle game on (laughs) Sunday in Seattle, which... From Sunday through Tuesday, dominated the uh, the minds of everybody in the NFL, wondering what we just saw, how we just saw it. The kind of thing that will live in Seattle forever. Like you think of the greatest sports moments of your life that you will never forget. And uh, playing to the home audience there, would I say what June 1988, right? Wasn't it Ireland one, England zero? Were you boys even yeah. alive then for yeah, the European just about, championships? Yeah,
6: just about six years
0: old. One of my first uh, sporting memories, Brian.
2: Is it not? Did you have the date? Was it like si- June? Sixth. You remember the I want to June- say
6: June the 6th, but I'm not entirely
0: sure.
2: Something like Either that. Either way. June yeah. 6th
0: sounds correct. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Listeners, podcast listeners screaming at their podcast, no, 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 it was June the 6th. <laughs> I mean, c- c- certain dates, right? There yeah. are dates. Uh, everybody remembers January 10th, 1982 here in America, in San Francisco for the catch, Dwight Clark for Seattle. You want to talk about the golden days, man. These are – it's like it's not just that they're Super Bowl champs. It's not just that that city is a particularly nutty city for its team, although it's quite annoying how those fans seem to think that they're the best fans in the world. When uh, I have news for them, every city loves their team. Uh, but the 12s, as they call them, representing the 12th man, because there's 11 players on a football field, and they represent the extra force that lifts Seattle to these great heights – I have to say, you had to stand back in awe of what happened there on Sunday. From a Green Bay perspective, it may go down as one of the greatest infamous chokes of all time. How did they not go to the Super Bowl when they had a 16-0 halftime lead? in Seattle, the toughest place to play, when they had a 19-7 to lead, and there were two minutes to go, and all they had to do was stop Seattle from scoring two touchdowns. All they had to do was field an onside kick. All they had to do was, on an interception by a Green Bay defensive back, not take a knee and instead run, because you probably would have scored a touchdown. All these woulda, coulda, shouldas that are now haunting Green Bay forever. Meanwhile, Seattle is beyond orgasmically exhilarated and truly believing that this is now their destiny to win a second Super Bowl for scoring three touchdowns in the final 2 minutes of overtime and I mean the final 2 minutes of regulation and then a third I mean two touchdowns and then a third touchdown to open overtime which is the only way they could have won the game was to score a touchdown on their first drive and for Russell Wilson to go he's already a Super Bowl champ and already has drawn comparisons to Joe Montana for his nimbleness and his clutch ability but for him to have one of the worst games you've ever seen a quarterback have in a championship game throw four interceptions and then be the man, the the man, the winner, the Tiger Woods in his prime type performance that he turned in down the stretch, including that last touchdown pass to Jermaine Kearse, is something to behold, something to chew on. They'll make documentaries about it. They'll write books about it. And, uh, yeah, they're going to the Super Bowl, boys.
0: Brian, you mentioned a number of different mistakes that were made there by Green Bay, but certainly the live TV coverage was almost exclusively focused on on one man, uh, this is the, uh, the scapegoat for the year. Brandon Bostic mm. is the guy's name. I was, I was, um, well maybe you can t- talk to us a little bit about why this guy has been has been scapegoated.
2: Wow, you know and immediately and I, I did the same thing on Twitter. Uh, you immediately think of the great goats in the history of American sports, uh, the guys who are just who will never live down their mistake. And whether it's fair or not, a guy named Bill Buckner is legendary in American sports in the 1986 Boston Red Sox who were trying to win their first World Series since 1918 and had the Mets defeated in the 10th inning of Game 6 until the Mets tied the game and won the game when a simple ground ball went right through the legs of Bill Buckner, who's a great player, had a great career. It just happened that a ground ball went right through his legs. And even though a million things happened in that game to cause them to lose, and it wasn't necessarily that one play, that play is the symbol of the greatest choke in baseball history. So Bill Buckner is the name you throw out. Well, as soon as Brandon Bostick had his moment in Seattle, immediately people said, "Well, here he is, the Bill Buckner of the new generation." And this poor guy will have to live with this forever. Uh, and that is—it's a bit of an obscure thing. I mean, I know a lot of Irish fans are are savvy NFL fans, so they know what I'm talking about. But maybe some of the more casual fans don't know about an onside kickoff. You know, when a, when a score is made or a half begins or a game begins, you kick the ball, one team kicks the ball off to the other team, and it's almost 99 times out of 100, you kick the ball as far as you can down the field and then let the other team try to return it because you want to pin them deep in their own territory. Well, when you're in desperate circumstances and you need the ball back as soon as you can, there's something called an onside kick, and that's where you line up your formation to kick the ball 10 yards. The rule is once the ball goes 10 yards, the offensive kicking team... The kicking team can recover it and claim the ball is theirs. It's sort of an obscure rule. It's, it's hard to do. It's hard to kick the ball 10 yards without the other team fielding it. So they develop all these ways to squib it, to kick it off the turf, to make sure it goes high in the air, to flood the zone with your own team to try to recover it. It's, it's a real sort of obscure art in American football, the onside kick. And nine times out of ten, they fail. You just don't achieve onside kicks. They just don't happen. That's why you don't do it, because if you don't get the ball back, the other team has the ball at the 50-yard line and pretty much the game's over. Well, the Seattle Seahawks, that was it. They were down to their blindfold and their cigarette. It was all over, and the, the executioner's rifle was aimed, and all they had to do was field the onside kick, and the Packers had the game won, and guess what? And this is why the Seahawks fans believe there's some divine work. In fact, Russell Wilson truly told, uh, NFL.com columnist Michael Silver that he believed that it was God who ordained it to be that it would happen that way. He's a very religious man and he truly believed that there was divine providence going on. So take that for what it's worth. When the onside kick was headed to Green Bay and Green Bay had a plan and they had a plan and they told Brandon Bostick his assignment was to block the oncoming Seahawk and let the ace receiver Jordy Nelson, one of the best receivers in the NFL, field the kick. Jordy Nelson was standing right there as the ball was arcing down to him, and Brandon Bostic decided, in the heat of the moment, to choke. He panicked. He forgot his assignment and said, the ball's coming at me. Maybe I should grab it. And he couldn't grab it because he doesn't have that kind of skill, and it bounced off his helmet into the air, and the Seahawks recovered. And they scored the touchdown that wound up putting it into overtime and winning the game, and all he had to do was grab it. He will live forever because, yes, a million things happened, but that happened above them all, the Bill Buckner moment for Brandon Bostic.
6: Yeah, and I mean, the comparison with Bill Buckner is interesting. And actually, I made the exact same uh, comment on Twitter. Like, I called him Brandon Bill Buckner Bostic, which is his (laughs) full name. But I mean, uh, at least, you know, Buckner had a career. As he said, he he was a really good player. He was also one of the nine players selected by the Boston Red Sox for a game six. So the guy had a variety of skills, which meant that he could build a career. Now, Maybe you can just tell us a little bit more about this, but my understanding of an NFL career for a guy like Brandon Bostic is that he get he comes onto a roster with the Green Bay Packers. He's not a big name coming out of college football or anything. Not a Peyton Manning, a guy who's going to get drafted first or anything like that. He, he starts on special teams uh, situations like uh, returning kicks, stuff like that. And the way that he builds a career in the NFL is... He proves himself trustworthy to his coaches and gradually, by degrees, he get, gets, in more, gets involved in more and more plays and he builds an NFL career that way. So, I mean, Buckner had to be one of the, you know, 100 or 200 best baseball players in the world. Uh, this guy, Brandon Bostic, I mean, his career is probably over. Would, is that an, over, uh, an overstatement, do you
2: think? No, I mean, you're on the, you're on the case. It is, there is a difference there that, that uh, Buckner had a career. Darn, I mean Buckner, had, Buckner won a batting title in the National League. I mean, he, he's a really skilled player, and you're right. He's, you know, he's a starter for the Red Sox, and he was out there. Brandon Bostic's career, and you're right, the difference is that in the NFL you have 53 men on your team. In baseball you only have 25. So just sort of by – I mean, you do have scrubs in baseball and benchwarmers in baseball that don't play that would be like a Brandon Bostic. But in football, you have even more of them because of the, hmm. the requirements for the roster. In fact, I was just looking up his sort of his bio, and you mentioned he wasn't the number one draft pick like Peyton Manning. Guys, he wasn't even drafted. And he went to a college called Newberry College, which nobody – I've never heard of it. It's a Division II school, and so we, you know, we rate all our famous football universities, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oregon, USC, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Auburn. Those are all Division I schools. These Division II schools are schools you've never heard of, and for a player to make it from a Division II school to the NFL is rare. It's not, it's not incredibly rare, but it's rare. Probably every team has maybe one or two Division II players. Uh, or maybe zero, but Brandon Bostic was one of them. He only caught two balls the entire year. He was a backup tight end. So his job was to be what they call special teams, right? You got your offensive players. You got your Aaron Rodgers and your Marshawn Lynch's. You got your defensive players, Clay Matthews at Green Bay, Richard Sherman, and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, all those great Seahawks players. Those are stars on offense and defense. But you do got to have special teams for kickoffs, kickoff returns, punts, punt returns, field goals, and point after touchdowns. And those are the guys, those are the grunts. Those are the guys you never heard of. Those are the guys that are out there because they're going to make their block when they have to. They know their assignment, and they stick to it until Brandon Bostick decided not to stick to it. The only thing I'll say in his defense is he, he faced the music. He met the media. You know, he talked about it. I don't know if he'll be on the next Packers team. The 49ers had a situation somewhat similar, a little less obscure. When Kyle Williams, their punt returner, fumbled two balls in the NFC Championship, Harbaugh's first year, 2011, and it was considered just beyond devastating to the team. They would have gone to the Super Bowl if he hadn't fumbled those punts. They kept him for the next year. Everybody thought, well, we'll never see him again, but Jim Harbaugh kept him for the next year. They eventually got rid of him the year after that. But so, you know, I mean, there may be a time where Brandon Bostick's back out there because he's kind of obscure, and you wouldn't even really notice him if he was out there, but forever. People will remember it as the Brandon Bostick game, the comeback game, and he'll live in infamy. And like I said, kind of at the start, Packers and Green Bay, for all the the exaltation of Seattle and for all the glory and the incredible moments they're having up in that town right now, I mean, these are just their salad days, their golden era they're having up there. <laughs> the other side of the story is Green Bay and their ice-cold winter and Aaron Rodgers still having to look at that one Super Bowl ring, which is great more than Colin Kaepernick has, but you would have thought Aaron Rodgers might have gotten back to another Super Bowl and the window closed on this one in a painful way.
0: Well, Brian, speaking of infamy, uh, you've already teed it up earlier on there, and we mentioned it at the top of the show also, what's Bill Belichick up to now? Oh
2: <laughs> Deflate <my God>. game. <laughs> Yeah, deflate gates, right? At least it rhymes. Yeah, I mean, of, sp-
6: of the gates, it's not... It's not, <laughs> not no, I've got to say,
0: this whole putting really a gate on the end of every... Yeah, no, uh,
2: I, I
6: agree uh, on... But the, in this particular it, it doesn't case, do it, for me. it yeah. does rhyme. Okay, well, let's go no for deflate
2: gates. One of the offshoots of this is another, um, is another, you know, sort of backlash against the the whole gate suffix. But yes, I don't think yes. it's going away, guys. I don't think it's going away. Everybody forgets that Watergate Hotel is what spawned this whole thing, and and the suffix gate on that had nothing to do with the scandal. It was simply the name of the hotel. It was called Watergate. That's where Richard Nixon authorized the eavesdropping of a uh, of a Democratic National Committee uh, operatives room. Uh what did he know and when did he know it? Follow the money. All the great stuff from all the president's men that we all know. Uh but yes, deflate gate. Wow. So it broke kinda of late Sunday night, early Monday morning A guy named Bob Kravitz at Indianapolis sent out a tweet says, "Breaking news: The NFL is investigating the possibility that New England underinflated its footballs." Everybody's like, "Wait, what?" And then Monday came, and everybody was mostly talking about Seattle and the comeback and how, in God's name, that happened. And then, kind of Monday evening, the NFL reporters kind of stuck out and said, "Yeah, the NFL is now actively investigating the possibility that they deflated footballs." And by Tuesday, people were saying, "Wait, what does this mean?" Because the dust was settling in Seattle a little bit. What does this mean? What's the advantage, and what's going on? And then Tuesday night, Chris Mortensen of ESPN broke the news that, indeed, 11 of the 12 footballs were found to have been underinflated by two pounds. Bam, cue all hell breaks loose, because now you've got all sorts of people, just an immediate reaction. There's two reactions to it. One, what the hell is a deflated football good for? And two, Bill Belichick's cheating again. Or I should flop those. One, Bill Belichick's cheating again, and two, what the hell is a deflated football good for? So, Bill Belichick, we did. I mean, how many words did you and I exchange and spend on Spygate years oh, ago yes. when he was caught having left a video camera on to an opposing team's practice, the Jets, to see what they were running? That was just ridiculous. And in fact, they got fined, I believe, five hundred thousand dollars. I think they lost a couple of draft picks. I'd have to bone up on my. Spygate penalty, but it was severe, and it damaged Bill Belichick's legacy. And a lot of people have said, "You know, he's never won a Super Bowl since Spygate." And you know what? He kind of just went, kept on coaching, never changed his expression, never changed his hoodie, never stopped frowning. And he's back in his Super Bowl, and and we wound up throwing all these rose petals at him, guys, because there was a number of notable achievements with this Super Bowl uh, birth. He ties Don Shula for the most Super Bowls of any coach. This is his sixth one. He and and Tom Brady extend their lead as the Quarterback and coach combination with the most Super Bowl appearances of any in the history of the NFL. And he passed the legendary Tom Landry, the Dallas Cowboys uh, fedora wearing stoic Tom Landry, for the most wins in playoff history in the NFL. So we were actually in a point where we were sort of throwing rose petals towards Belichick. Just throw a 180 on that. We're right back to just questioning this guy's integrity, his legacy what it means, how it will affect their preparation for this coming Super Bowl, what penalty is going to come their way. As I speak to you guys at this time, we don't know what penalty is going to come their way. The word is it could be a heavy fine, and another loss of a draft pick. And, of course, now you sort of have a backlash of people saying, well, what does it really matter? They killed the Colts 45-7. to 7. It had nothing to do with deflated footballs. Uh, you know, the Patriots were the better team. Uh, this is much to do about nothing. And other people say, well, no, cheating is cheating. If you're a cheater, you're a cheater, and we can't extol that. We can't. The same people who say Barry Bonds should never be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, because even though he was a great player and even though a bunch of other people were doing it, cheating is cheating. So here's where you draw your moral stands, and here's where you figure out what what means something in your value system of sports. How does something that could be commonly done by other teams, I don't know, that's been brought up, that they're not the only team that does this, uh, how much it truly affects the game, does Tom Brady make Easier passes because he can grip the ball better? Well, maybe. It was all very up in the air, and the NFL has yet to issue its official response, but I don't know how it's going to affect the hype going into next week. In some ways, it just might be more of a circle the wagons mentality for Belichick. In some ways, maybe they start to feel pressure and scrutiny, and Seattle kind of laughs as all the focus is not on them. So here you go again, Bill Belichick.
0: What if it's just a case, Brian, of it being beneficial? For the quarterback, if that's the main advantage, then you would ask the question: um, Why? Why wasn't that advantageous to the Colts' quarterback? Why? Why was it only Tom Brady who was benefiting? I presume they're both using the same ball. It's not as though they're the same. The same match balls. It's not a different set for the two teams.
2: No, well, great question. Because I learned something out of this. I've been covering this American sports forever, all my life. I did not know until this story that each team used its own footballs. I did not know that they do. So New England <laughs> used its okay. own footballs. So Unbelievable. that's the deal. <laughs> so- that
6: totally the- changes like, to be honest, I was just having a
0: laugh
2: that about totally this. Actually it. Yeah, is yeah. It,
6: they actually are cheating. Oh, my God. <laughs> they are.
2: And the weirdest thing, too, guys, is how it was found out, because there's another couple uh, important facts in the story. One is that referees want to make sure that teams aren't cheating. So there's an NFL rule that the referee has to inspect the footballs for each team two hours before the game and measure the pressure per square inch, PSI. And so they check them. And then they supposedly put them in a box or whatever to guard them so that nobody can touch the balls. So somehow some way, either the referee screwed up in his inspection, or the Patriots were able to get to the balls after the inspection, or the Patriots swapped out the balls somehow some way. So that's one aspect of it is how did they beat the inspection. The other aspect is that the only reason it was brought to their attention was because a Colt's linebacker actually intercepted a Tom Brady pass. Guy's name, I believe, is Dequel Jackson, and he reported to his head coach Chuck Pagano that he felt that the ball was a little softer than usual. Pagano then told the ref, the ref then told the booth, the booth then initiated the investigation at halftime. So how does a linebacker who hardly ever touches a football, almost never, how did he detect the difference in pressure? That's kind of an unusual like aspect a, of this yeah, story.
6: Like a <laughs> pancake. I mean if that guy's by yeah. p- <laughs> uh, finding out.
2: Yeah, so I mean, so we many threads to this story, and including you know the oddity of how they got it done, how long have they been doing it, how much has it helped Tom Brady? Then there's another weird aspect too, is that Aaron Rodgers uh, said they asked him about it in Green Bay, and he said, "Yeah, pressure matters a lot." He said, "And in fact, I'm weird. I actually like the ball to be overinflated." So he said he tries to sort of cheat the other way. <laughs> he said he has really strong, big hands. You want the ball to be a little underinflated if your hands aren't as big and strong as the next man. And Aaron Rodgers has really big, strong hands, so he actually said he throws a better ball when it's overinflated. And he says he sometimes tries to get them overinflated so he throws it better. So that's another weird aspect of this whole thing. And then Matt Leinart, who was at USC and then had kind of a bad NFL career, he just sent out on Twitter this morning, he said this is a big deal about nothing. Every quarterback in every locker room tries to manipulate the ball To be comfortable for him, so they got him. They got other NFL players tweeting saying, "No, this is absolutely cheating because it's easier for Brady to throw the ball. It's easier for his receivers to catch it. It's harder for them to fumble." So we've got ourselves a full-blown. Or half-blown controversy. Brian, I can tell you uh,
0: one one thing here, though, and I don't—I I would always bow to your vastly, vastly, vastly superior knowledge on these matters. But you did pose the question about whether this would have an impact one way or the other on the Patriots. I'm pretty sure it's not going to impact them—impact uh, on them—in a negative manner. I can't imagine Tom Brady or Bill Belichick sitting around for the next ten days thinking, "Oh." Just, you know, should we really have deflated those balls? I mean, we're getting in a lot of trouble for this.
2: I don't know. They can get into a little. First of all, what if this means that the balls they use in the Super Bowl will not be deflated and Brady has a little bit of a problem throwing it? I don't know. That's one aspect of it. Maybe it could get in his head a little bit, kind of like. A... Like a golfer, you know, you want a certain ball. You want golfers play certain golf balls, you know, and they freak out. You and I would never be able to tell over a thousand swings the difference between a golf ball, but golfers can tell the difference of how their club head hits a ball. And you'll be like, really? And they'll be like, Yeah, messed up my head. It messed up my swing. Da da da. So I don't know. I'm presuming. I'm taking three giant leaps the other direction by saying a guy like Tom Brady might be affected by it. But I would tend to agree with you, Owen, that that Bill Belichick uh was probably mildly unfazed by most of the of the stuff people say about him or talk about him but it is something that they're going to have to deal with because you got to do media every day at the Super Bowl you can't hide in the locker room they have to go to these hotel conference rooms and sit around at these tables bleary-eyed in the morning for these dreadful interviews day after day after day and it could drive them crazy and provide what they call the magic word distraction is the word you always hear in sports you know is this a distraction so we shall see. The Super Bowl Vegas uh, odds is even. Pick them. Who knows? Maybe this controversy will swing it a couple points Seattle's way. Either way, if you're Seattle, you've got to be loving it. I had heard the spin a couple days ago that Belichick's a genius because now maybe he's got Seattle thinking about the balls. <laughs> you know, is is brave. now maybe he's going to mess with Seattle's head in a certain way. So who knows? Here we go. Only Bill Belichick, guys.
0: Brian, you and I are friends again. It's good news. Oh. I, look, I look forward to the Super Bowl preview next week.
4: In the final and on not in and Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the drink to get off. Get him off the field. That was diabolical. Get him off the field. That's just typical of what he is. Get him walking. They don't like it. Walking. come not believe you've got it in bottle. If you've got it in bottle, can't believe some warm. That was absolute diabolical. That should be sent off. Give going be-
0: to the bottom of just why it is of benefit to under-inflate your footballs, Murph.
6: Mm. If you've got tiny, puny little hands like Tom Tom Brady. Delicate little hands,
0: Tom Brady's hands. Not seafarer. Does he hands? Have little hands? To say. Yeah, he does according to that. According to Brian Murphy. I'm Unlike Aaron Rodgers with his big manly manly I'm impressed
1: manly he's managed to win, what, five Super Bowls with his <laughs> T-Rex arms. <laughs> Not many people have done that. Um, it, it, I mean, is there no way this could just have been a, something went wrong with a, pumping up the footballs bit. I mean...
0: Well, Bill Belichick today has said, uh, in the last little while, he's said, well, I don't know anything about it. But he didn't absolve anyone else of blame. He just says, I, I've, I'm learning all the time. I'm learning with you guys, yeah. to the journalists. Bill Belichick, not a man who has much respect for journalist questions, by the way, at the best of times, so I don't know how well he reacts. No, I
1: saw, yeah, I saw a couple of videos <laughs> of Belichick. I mean, he doesn't help himself, does he? He's got a somewhat furtive manner. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say he was the, the picture of the soul of transparency uh, generally. So, when something like this happens, especially when you're when you, given his history. The inclination the, the is to suspect that you know This hasn't happened by accident Once again, you know, it's a bit of a funny coincidence
0: Bill Simmons sent out a tweet, Murph, along the lines of oh, I don't know why, the, you know, he is a Patriots fan It should be pointed out yep. and he, uh, The big Huge American broadcaster fan, yeah. uh, He was along the lines of I don't know why we didn't just uh, Have a load of lads on test positive for PDs Like everyone else does <laughs> Which is a not
6: be- particularly uh, Veiled uh, Attack on the Seattle Seahawks who at one stage last year were being called the Seattle uh Seahawks, given how many uh, positive tests uh, their players had actually handed in over the last number of years. And it's a point pretty well made, you'd have to agree. Uh, slightly deflated football versus a uh, course of uh, performance-enhancing drugs. I mean, I think you would have to say that one... Well, maybe there there is less moral equivalency over one than there is over the other. I mean, the American sports fan doesn't seem to
0: have a major problem no. with performance and anti-drugs. It's a few footballs. Yeah, that, that's a big deal. Anytime the words Bill Buckner come up, I'm reminded of his incredible cameo. More than a cameo, he was the star of an episode of Kirby Enthusiasm. Mm. I think the last series of Kirby Enthusiasm made. And uh, just go and watch it and we'll talk about it then. I don't want to yeah, tell you. You know, maybe Brandon
6: bostic has that to look forward to at least.
0: Uh, just on the story I mentioned at the start of the show as well, just to bring you up to date with what's happening with the Russian walkers many of whom have been on performance dancing drugs themselves, it seems. Uh, Ian O'Reard was writing about this today, just where we're at in terms of when the Irish athletes or if they will get upgraded medals. So the uh, the, the Olga Canisquina, the lady who beat Olive Loughnane in the World Championship in 2009, Loughnane came second. She is, the band that is proposed for her takes into account that, tour, that uh, championship. So she will be stripped of that medal and that medal will go to uh, all of Lucknow. When or how or precisely what the, the actual structure of that is is open to a little bit of debate. Now, as it stands, the proposed ban that went in to the IWF from the Russian authorities for the, the walker who beat Rob Heffernan into fourth place in the Olympic Games, uh, it's kind of bizarre. It doesn't cover the Olympics. It covers everything up to the Olympics. Everything after the Olympics, but they seem to be suggesting that oh, well, just for, for, for those few weeks, in the most important few weeks of his career, this guy was walking clean. So yeah. at the moment, he's technically not going to lose that medal. Now the IWF will make their own decision on that, and Ino O'Reardon seems to be of the opinion that they will—they uh, won't have too much truck with what the Russians are saying. I don't know why they're—they're they're necessarily um, holding back on that one when they seem to be trying to come down, or at least being seen to come down pretty hard on some of the other ones there. There's a bit of a lack of joy, though, I think, for these athletes in winning medals this way. And we've talked to Dervil O'Rourke before about the uh, 2013 European Indoors a couple of years back she came uh, fourth but she should have a medal because Nevin Yannett who won it has been busted since then now as far as I'm aware Derville still hasn't received that medal the case Yannett's brought the case from the IWAf to the court of arbitration for sports so derval has been assured she'll get the medal but still has to wait around for you know you're, what are you waiting for a tweet about that or you hear news from the court of arbitration for sport and then yeah, yeah. Now, I'm, now I'm now I'm I'm, I'm not saying these athletes these clean athletes clearly are deserving of the medals but for them I'm not sure how much yeah.
6: UPS package arrives at your door some morning and it has a medal in it I mean is that you know that's
0: not what you get into sport for you know you get into sport to win medals sure so they're still deprived of the moment which is really what it, it's mostly about No, yeah, it's still I'm sure I'm sure Oliver Buckingham would like to call herself a world champion and can deservedly now do so so congratulations uh, congratulations to them Murph sport on TV this weekend oh well there's uh, quite a bit actually starting on the Friday night bizarrely enough which
6: has many out against Cambridge United live on BBC Sport in the FA Cup fourth round uh, Was Leinster is 1 p.m. on Saturday. Munster sale is on. That's on BT Sport. whilst and Leinster. Munster sale is on Sky at uh, quarter past three. Liverpool, Bolton, and the FA Cup is on uh, at 5:30. Also on BT Sport. And then there's two other FA Cup games. Uh, Bristol City against West Ham on B- BBC at 2 p.m. Then at four o'clock is Brighton Arsenal against uh Brighton against Arsenal. Also on BT Sport. And of course, there's other games. Should you
0: choose in the uh, European Rugby Champions Cup. Yeah, I? Don't know why the weekend. Yeah, I don't know why fast forwarding right at the weekend when I happen to even ask you what's on our football podcast today that's
2: yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really Well, yeah, you can laugh I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I
4: want to be like me well, do you don't know what you're talking about what well, yeah. did you know I'd like nice just, to stay alive right, it's late late, out, it's later. Later. I'd say it to you, face not say it to you well, now i down to and we'll see them
1: right. what you doing down here you're showing me man <laughs> It's so 20 years on since Eric Cantona went over the uh, advertising hoardings and kicked that dude in the chest. Kung fu kick. Kung fu kick. Yeah. Well, I suppose it, the reason they always called it a kung fu kick was that it was not like a football kick. You know, I mean, it was like a studs up straight-legged lunge. <laughs> you know, did, if, if you'd said Cantona has kicked a fan, it might seem as though he'd gone, you know, and booted him like he, like he was taking a goal kick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kung Fu Kick got it across, maybe a bit, bit better. Um, but yeah, twenty years since that happened. Uh, seems like yes, only yesterday. Um, well, although I suppose it depends on how old you yourself are.
0: And with uh, Jonathan Wilson from the nations. We he's in Equatorial Barcelona. Yes, uh, a, lot lot a, lot, a lot of stuff. Um, in fact, that uh, that a kick. We also we can't confine this clip to one podcast. Got to play it here as well. Jonathan Pierce's somewhat opinionated line of commentary is, I think, worth repeating here, so have a listen.
4: About his supreme talent, he launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of an out giving him lip, without a shadow of an out giving him stick.
0: Now, journalism students, that is how you take yourself out of a story. <laughs> <laughs> Unbiased. At I mean, time. it's amazing.
1: Well, like, he, you know, he's having to go at Cantona for for <laughs> not being able to, you know, keep his composure.
6: <laughs> We've got to keep our composure. Yes. It's very As important that te-
1: you don't allow your flawed temperament to, you know, to get carried away due to the flaws of your temperament and, and do things that you regret, like that commentary.
0: Thanks for listening to the show, everyone. And you can check us out on Twitter at captains Thank you, Kieran.
1: Thank you all. And thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. And thank you all.
0: Thanks, again Cheers. Thanks again.